Paul gave an exhortation to Timothy to be mindful to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. My mind throughout this week has been very much focused on doctrine. And it uh, turns out that's not the way we're going to go this morning. So we're going to have a focus on reading. Okay, uh, I want you to turn in your scriptures to Genesis. One, I'm going to start in verse one, and I'm going to read a great deal this morning. That may be the bulk of what I do. Um, two weeks ago, we gave a very high-level overview of the whole Bible. Just a big topic, right? And so I feel like it's important before we start diving deeper into the doctrine that I wanted to talk about, which would be the total depravity of man and their corrupt nature, is that we need to spend some time looking at creation, looking at Adam and Eve in the garden, at the fall, at the birth of their first two sons, and then the final third son, the replacement Seth. So we've got about a 130-year period that we're going to look at. Adam was 130 years old and Seth was born. Even though I'm going to be reading a great deal, particularly small children and taller children, I really want you to pay attention. I want you to be imagining what's going on and trying to see it in your head. Okay? Genesis 1.1 In the beginning... What's the next word, kids? God. In the beginning, God. And I'm going to try to read slow. Y'all know that's not my nature. But there's things we need to dwell on. And I don't have a whole lot of comments to make. But I'm going to let Scripture speak for itself. When Ezra was reading the law, the folks were standing for three hours at a time. And then they'd take a break and have about three hours of confession and then read some more, right? So I don't think I'll read for three hours and I'm not going to make you stand. But if you get sleepy, please stand. (laughs) Um, But he was charged to read it clearly and distinctly and to give the meaning. That's what we're going to try to do. Okay? In the beginning... What is it? God. Who's God? That's right, David. God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And it's going to describe what the earth looked like after he created it. The earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Sounds a little scary, right? Void was desolation or waste. It was ruined. There was nothing there was nothing there. But that word deep could also be word abyss. We know it means waters, because in the very next clause it says, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Alright, so in your mind's eye, everything is completely dark. Because what has God not created yet? Light. He won't get to the sun until way later. We don't have any light. It's completely dark. We've got the Spirit of God or the breath of God moving upon the surface of the waters. That's all the earth has right now. It's waters covering over. And God said, let there be light. And do you know what happened? 
There was light. He said it, and it was. Does God have all the power? You better believe it. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Was that the sun? No, he didn't make that for a couple days. It was a light, right? And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. What was, what was there first? Just the darkness. And then he made light. And God called the light, what? Day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. You notice it started with evening. What was first? Darkness, right? The evening and the morning were the first day. Alright, so we made it through the first day of creation. Y'all still with me? Alright. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Alright, so what's a firmament? Verse 8 says, and God called the firmament heaven. You're looking up and seeing, not the ceiling, you're standing outside, firmament, a space, the heavens. Alright, so that was day two. God called, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Alright, so our mind's eye, we've gone from the earth completely covered in water, completely in dark, to now we've got light part of the time, and darkness part of the time. We've now got the heaven, and so now he's taking those waters, and he's pushing them, and making what appear? Dry land, right? So he's going to separate the waters from the land. God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. All right? And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, which the seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. What does that mean? He said it and it happened. All right? He can do that because he has all the power. And it was so. The earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after its kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. All right. So we talked about the sun. It's going to make an appearance. This is when it shows up on day four. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. What all did he just make with that let is so? Made the sun, made the moon, all the other stars, everything else. And he gave them for a reason. For us to have it for signs, for time, for seasons. That's how we measure time is intervals of days, years, months, the months by the moon, 
years and how long it takes to go around the sun with the four seasons. God did all that on that day. Okay? He made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day. What's that, kids? The sun, right? And He made a lesser light to rule the night, which is the moon. And He made the stars also. And the He made is in italic, so that was added. The stars also. Three words. Kind of a kind of a afterthought there. So many stars that we can't even count them. Okay, God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Remember that song we sang? He is the rock. His work is perfect. Right? All his all his creation is perfect. Good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. All right. And God said, Let the waters bring forth, so we're on day five, let the waters bring forth abundantly moving creatures that have life. All right. Up to here, all we had is plants. These are the first animals, living, breathing things that are going to be created. So the starting in the waters, the moving creatures that have life, and the fowls that fly above the earth in the open firmament. So he's filling the the sky, he's filling the ocean with animals. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Y'all noticing a pattern. All right, now he's going to give them some instructions. God's talking to the animals here. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. And fill the waters in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. All right. So, did he make enough birds at creation and fish creation to fill all the seas at once? No. He said, "Y'all go be fruitful and multiply. Go have little fishies and more birds, and fill the earth." Okay. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. All right. And God said, "Let the earth bring forth living creatures after his kind, cattle." and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. What is he creating now? All the land animals. So you had those that live in the sea, those that fly in the sky, and those that live on the ground. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Verse 26. This is the last thing that God is going to create. This is something special. This is something different. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. You're made in the image and likeness of God. If you remember nothing else from this morning, remember that you were made in His image and likeness. In the New Testament, we would be described as being ambassadors for Christ, as followers of Christ, that we are um, representing Him here below. In everything that you do, you are representing God as His creation. 
As I would say at the end of a demand letter as an attorney, I'd say govern yourself accordingly. <laughs> let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion or rule over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So all those things that were made before man, he's going to have the rule and charge over. Okay? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. We talked a few weeks ago about God being the creator. This is where God has revealed how he created. Okay? I can give summaries of this stuff, but it's better for you to hear it and think about it from the words themselves. Okay? This is what God revealed about his creation. All right, what's he going to do right after that? He's going to give them instructions on what they are allowed to eat. Okay? And God said, Behold... He's talking to man now. I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat. I don't be confused by that. It's not saying that it's actual meat like an animal meat. It's saying that's food. Your food, you are vegetarian. You can eat vegetables, you can eat fruits, you can eat grains, the things that grow in the earth, you're allowed to eat. But what are you not allowed to eat? Animals. What has to happen for you to eat an animal? Die. Die, right? Mason, you go hunting. How are you going to eat that deer? you got to die first. Has anybody died in God's creation right now? No. Do you know why? Because sin had not entered into the world yet. Death is the result of sin. Say that wages, the wages, the, what you earn with sin is death. Okay, so there's no death yet. So not only were men instructed to eat just vegetables and fruits, non-animals, the animals themselves couldn't eat other animals. Do you know that? Yeah. Lions, right? They couldn't eat gazelles or giraffes. Hyenas couldn't come get the leftovers. This is what God says. And to the, every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, whereof there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. They had the same diet that the humans did. That's a little interesting, right? Because if they were going to eat something else, what would have to happen? They'd have to die. Do you know... When this changed, at least explicitly for humans, it wasn't until after the flood. Remember, old Noah was instructed to get food of all kinds to pack this box that they're going to be in for about a year. Can you imagine how rough it would have been if the animals were eating each other? Or he had to prepare meat for them to last a year. But in God's design at this point, they weren't eating each other yet, most likely. But I know that, that humans were not permitted to eat animals until afterwards. Okay? 
And God saw everything that He made, and behold, it was very good. Not just good, but very good. He's looking at everything, the totality of all creation. It was very good. All His works are perfect. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Alright? Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, host referring to the stars, sun, and moon, and on the seventh day, God ended His work, which He had made, and He did what on the seventh day? Rested. Rested. That's right. He rested from all His work, which He had made. Did He rest because He was tired? No. Nope. God's all-powerful. He doesn't get tired. But He created a pattern for us. He would formalize it in the law for the Hebrews. They had to obey the Sabbath day, which is the day of rest, but it was created for man that they would have a time to rest. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it to set it apart, make it holy, because in that He had rested from all His work which God created and made. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. In the day the Lord made the earth and the heavens, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. How was all of God's plants watered at that time? It was a mist that came up and watered them. What didn't fall from the sky yet? Rain. You know when most likely the first time it rained? The flood. And what a rain it were. <laughs> Imagine poor Noah as he's being mocked by his neighbors. You're building a boat for what? It's going to what? And it had never rained. Alright? There was not a man to till the ground. Alright? So if there wasn't a man to till the ground yet, what day have we zoomed back into? God gave us the full seven days, and now we're going back in to look closely at one particular day. Remember back on day six, God created man, male, and female, right? And so here in chapter two of Genesis, we're going to see what happened on that sixth day. It's going to get more specific. So you've got the pattern of the whole week laid out, and then and it's an actual week. And he's giving this all for times and seasons. He's he's giving he's setting up time right here. This is not something stretched out over millions of years. This is not some evolution. I mean, the animals were made after their specific time. Okay? So we're looking in at day six. See what happened. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. You know what that word formed means, Connor? It means like a potter makes clay, presses it together to make a shape. Alright? So God being the potter here made the first man, whose name was Adam. You know what Adam means? It means ruddy or red or rosy. They probably have some Georgia red clay. I don't know that for real. Okay. He formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. This is another distinction between man and everything else. God said it, and it was so, but yet here he is actively taking a role in forming him and breathing into him and making him a living soul. Alright, then God's going to do something else. He's already made the world, 
He's got plants growing. He's going to make a special place for this man. All right? The Lord planted a, what is it? What did he plant? A garden. A garden in Eden. Okay? Eden is a region somewhere off to the east. Um, but he planted it. He made the garden. The word garden literally means to, to hedge about. He made a place. Later when they're kicked out, he's going to put a flaming sword at the entrance. Okay? So got a hedged about place prepared specially for this, his pinnacle of creation, man. All right? He planted the garden. And, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Remember those two characteristics. This is what he made. Every tree was pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right. So we've got three categories of tree, right? you got all the trees, you can eat all of them, and you've got the tree of life, and then you've got the third tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? They're in the middle of the garden. Alright? And then just to mark how different what we believe and follow is, as opposed to fairy tales and cunningly devised fables, get some geographic details about what was going on there what was what was nearby a river went out of eden to water the garden god gives you his irrigation plan he had put a river that's coming out of eden to go water the garden and then even tells you more about that river that it's going to split into four different heads Hassan, it tells you the area that that's around gives you details about the gold there Another one's Gion, it goes around the land of Ethiopia. The third is Hittikel, which goes towards Assyria. And the fourth is the river Euphrates. All right. Euphrates is significant in the nation of Israel because when their region, when their area of rule stretches as far as it does north, it goes up to the river Euphrates. Okay. But to the north of Euphrates, you had the Assyrian Empire. And then to the northeast, you later had the Babylonians come. All right. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. All right? Some folks will joke that work is only a product of sin. He had a job to do before the fall. He was to dress and keep it. He was a, he was a gardener. But this was the ideal garden. God caused everything to grow, and it was grown already because it was there ready to be eaten. There was really no labor involved in making the food. It was very easy. All right? But he had to dress and keep it. And the, Lord get, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden they, thou mayest freely eat. And that freely eat is the same um, pattern as the surely die in the next verse. Eating thou may eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou may not, thou may not, thou may not eat. Thou shalt not eat. Which tree, Connor? Knowledge of good and evil. All the others you could, just one. 
For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Dying thou shalt die. Okay? And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helpmeet. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam. So these are different beasts that were created before Adam. He's making a special batch right there out of the ground. It's not just speaking it was so. He's making some more out of the ground so Adam can have them to name. All right, and he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them, and whatso Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. He gave names to all the cattle, to the fowls of the air, to the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. Okay? That meet means fit or right. There was not a helper that was right for him. All, none of these animals could meet what was needed. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. You still with me, Patrick? And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a... What did he make? He, wasn't, he took it from a man. He made a woman. Woman. And brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now... Bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave, or cling, or adhere to, stick fast with his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Okay? You know what God just created there? Marriage. Marriage is God's. He made it. He found that which was fit for the man, brought it unto the man, and then gives you the instruction. The man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. 25, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now that expression, naked and not ashamed, people can talk about that in marriage counseling and other things, but for... For my purposes, I want you to think about, as you've read through the rest of the Scripture, which I'm I'm hoping you have, from cover to cover, there's many times when there are going to be prophecies directed against a nation, and the language they'll use is that we are going to lift up your skirts and uncover your shame. Nakedness after the sin becomes shame. There had to be a covering to hide the sin and the grossness. But before then, there was no covering needed. There was no shame needed. They were perfect. They had not fallen. This is what we have to know what it was like before, before the fall. This was creation. Everything was created perfect. It was easy to eat. God had made it all there. Didn't have to worry about sunburn. No clothing was required. Didn't have to worry about thorns or nettles being stepped on. It would also be a product of the fall. Okay? So this is what we know about before the fall. This is what we refer to as paradise. Okay? I want you to hang on to these images because after we get through this, if we have time, we'll look to see what heaven's described as. Okay? Y'all still with me? Connor? Patrick? Elliot? 
Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. It takes really going to Revelation before you get a clear um, verse that says serpent, the old dragon, the devil, Satan. It's all the same thing. Person. So we've got Satan here. Serpent was more subtle or wily than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So he's starting by asking her questions, one that he knows not to be true. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And notice that Eve added some additional criteria on herself. Whether that came from Adam or herself, we don't know. She said you shouldn't touch it or eat it, lest you die. God had just said don't eat it. The serpent then said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Who is he contradicting? God. What is he calling God? Is this a big deal? This is one of Satan's most common tactics. I don't really know it's most common tactic. This is a tactic of Satan to get you to part from doing what's right by getting you to challenge God and see whether what God said is true and right and whether you're going to follow that or not. He's calling God a liar. Okay, You shall not surely die. For God doth know in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, lowercase g, knowing good and evil. Okay? And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she did take of, took of the fruit thereof, and did eat. Remember, every tree that God made, back in chapter 2 and verse 9, everyone was pleasant to the sight and good for food. But here she added on a tree to be desired to make one wise. You know what desire, you know what another word we use for desire is, kids? It's kind of a grown-up word. But I use it in the pulpit a lot, and I don't always explain it. Lust. When we talk about fulfilling the lust of the flesh, that means the desires for that which is wrong. Something that's forbidden, it's not good. Okay? So she desired it. And she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And gave also under her husband with her, and he did eat. What have they just done? End. To sin is to transgress the law. At this point, the only law that was given was don't eat it. She took it. She ate of it. And then she helped someone else to sin too. 
Taller kids, do y'all ever find that to be the pattern in life? And here's what happened, guys. The eyes of them both were opened. Do you think that means they've been walking around with their eyes closed? No. It's a figure of speech. It's saying they now had a new understanding. Here's what they understood. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. You think that's a very good covering? Think that would last very long? What happened to leaves after just a few days? Crumble up, right? How often do we try to hide our sins from God? How often do we try to hide them from our parents or from our friends or from our aunts or whoever cares and loves about us? In murders, they use the term cover up. I want to hide it. What do you think that's referring to? I think it goes all the way back to this as they were trying to cover up their newfound shame. They were naked and sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. So who had come and communed with them in the garden before this? Lord God. They heard His voice. They knew. They recognized it. We know that because they hid themselves before He got there. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence or from the face of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. I think that's a very good hiding place to hide from the all-seeing, all-knowing God. Do you and I often try to have some really bad hiding places to hide when we mess up, when we make mistakes, when we sin? We can look at them and say, well, that was just silly. We're pretty silly too. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Did God have to ask that question? He already knew. But he chose to, and he wanted to hear Adam's response. Here's what Adam says. I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Why was he afraid of God? Because he disobeyed him. He'd sinned against him. He knew that he was in the wrong. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God is often described as being the searcher. He can search our thoughts, the desires of our heart, and knows everything we do, whether no one else is around or not. And so to stand before the presence of God is like standing before Him naked. He knows everything. And just like Adam, we have a lot to be ashamed of. I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, this is God, Who told thee thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thou that thou should not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave to me, and I did eat. What's he trying to do? Shift blame. 
He shifts or tried to shift the blame to two different people. Who is that? Eve and God himself. Well, really, it's kind of your fault because you gave me this wife. You said she was fit for me. And we chuckle. But again, how often as we're trying to justify ourselves when we make mistakes, do we blame those around us? And do we blame God himself? Well, if you just give me what I wanted in the first place, I wouldn't have had to do that wrong thing. Seems silly saying it out loud. But how many times have we said it in our head and our heart? The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. The Lord turns his attention to Eve. The woman says, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. What does beguile mean, Patrick? Tricked her. She was deceived. Right? He tricked me, and I did eat. And the Lord God turns his attention to the serpent. Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. And upon thy belly shalt thou go. And thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Folks had spent a lot of time arguing about how did he get around before then. I don't know. I don't know if he had legs. I don't know if he had wings like a dragon. I don't know. All I know is after this, this serpent, the snakes, were cursed to travel around on their belly. And then in verse 15, we get the first prophecy of Jesus Christ. Alright? I will put enmity between thee, that's the snake, and the woman strife or hatred, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Okay? It's a veiled reference, but it's referring to Christ, that he is going to come and bruise the head of the serpent. Now, in the practical terms, how many of y'all like snakes? Not much. Not much. I'm pretty sure most of us have a real natural animosity towards snakes and really want to chop their heads off probably goes all the way back to this. Okay, So there's a curse put upon the snake and how he gets around his interactions with humans and ultimately the interaction of Christ coming and destroying Satan. Right? And he turns his attention back to the woman. All right? So he went from man, woman, serpent, gives his charge to the serpent or his edict or verdict or judgment, and he turns back to the woman. Unto the woman he said... I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Twofold. One point, there had been no sorrow before this. That's one of the descriptions we have of heaven. There's no crying. Tears are all wiped away. There's no pain and there's no sorrow. But that was one of the effects of sin. Is there is now sorrow in the world. And specifically for women, it's going to be uncomfortable, to put it mildly, to have children. Notice that Eve hadn't had any yet. Alright, and sorrow thou shalt, in thy conception is sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, 
and he shall rule over thee. Before this point, you didn't have that difference in roles. You now have the difference. That the husband is to be the head of the household, and the wife is to be subordinate. Her desire is to be to him. It was put in place because of sin. In heaven, where we're not given in marriage and not married any longer, it will be removed. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. There's a curse given to the ground. Adam was a gardener, right? He was tending and keeping a garden that had been planted for him, and now the land is going to be cursed. The ground is going to be cursed. Here's what's going to happen. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return into the ground, for out of it thou was taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Why is farming so hard? Adam. If it weren't for Adam, farming would be really easy. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> There's going to be imagery throughout Scripture talking about. Um, what people put as their God. And in Philippians, they would say that one, that the God is their belly. Their God is their belly. They spend all their days pursuing their lusts or their desires or things to eat. And so what was very easy in paradise, everything's already planted, everything's growing, I just go around and I eat anything I want except for that one. Now eating is very hard. You know, Scientists who claim to know everything by making guesses. First humans were hunter-gatherers. Nope. They weren't permitted to hunt. They could gather. After this, they had to become farmers. They had to actively till the land. They had to work it. It's not coming easy anymore. You could work and now you're going to have thistles and thorns going up all those weeds that are so annoying that it's overrun my garden. <laughs> Go back to Adam and the curse that was put upon the ground. Do you know in Revelation it says there'll be no more curse? Oh, look at that. So in the sweat of your brow, your difficulty, the labor you're going to have, you're going to eat bread. Much labor and difficulty. Until you die. From dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Ever wonder why they say ashes to ashes, dust to dust? I don't know about the ashes part. But the dust part is you came from dust and you're going back to dust. And Adam called his wife's name Eve. Okay. First time we find out her name. He's life giver. She's the first one to bear any human. And all are going to descend from her. Unto Adam also and to his wife made the Lord God coats of skins and clothed them. What had they been wearing before this, Connor? Fig leaves. They sewed them together, fig leaves. But God gave them now coats of skins 
and we talked about a couple weeks ago what has to happen to get a coat off an animal I kill it what's now in the world sin and because of sin there's now death okay and the Lord God said behold the man is become as one of us to know good and evil and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden. He was ejected. This special place where everything was so easy and perfect, he was kicked out. He was sent out to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims. Apparently the entrance was on the east side. Put a cherubim a celestial being, and a flaming sword. Growing up, I had a picture book from a little kid's Bible, and it was a cherubim holding a flaming sword. I don't see the cherubim holding the flaming sword here. Sounds like it's two distinct things. Cherubims, plural, and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Okay? You still with me, kids? Taller kids? Sin has entered in the world. Death is past. Everyone born after this point is a sinner. You know that. They're all going to die. Chapter 4. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. You know what Cain means? Striker. Like a lance or a spear. And she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Firstborn. And she again bare his brother Abel. Abel means vanity or emptiness. Got some interesting name selections here. And Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth. What does wroth mean, Connor? Mad. Angry. He's jealous. God accepted his baby brother's offering and didn't accept his. He's angry. And the Lord's going to speak to him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? What does it mean for your countenance to fall? When you're kind of smiling and everything, your face just kind of lifts up, right? When you get angry... What happens to everything? Gravity. Lips your mouth down, your eyes crawl. Right? Yeah, it's an expression for being upset. Why is your countenance fallen? Is God still talking? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? So what he's saying there is that you haven't done well. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire... And thou shalt rule over him. Okay. 
So you've got this imagery of sin crouching at the door. Out of the heart do all manner of sin proceed. Well, here you've got what's starting in jealousy and envy is going to grow to fulfillment and murder. These are the three men that exist right now. Adam, firstborn Cain, secondborn Abel. And it came to pass, and Cain talked with Abel, his brother. I don't know how exactly that conversation went. If Abel was anything like Joseph, I imagine there could have been some bragging going on about the difference in their offerings being accepted. I don't know that. Just as they talked. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. He killed his baby brother. Now just for a moment, I'm going to deviate, and I'm going to go look at Proverbs 6.16. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Proverbs 6, 16. I'm going to read these three or four verses and then we'll go back. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among his brethren. These are all things that the Lord hates. So you've got Cain, who is upset, jealous, envious, who has now raised his hand to kill his brother, and the Lord's going to come ask him about it. The Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Lying. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, The Lord, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. So I think if you count it all up, those Proverbs 6, I think Cain fits all, all of them and what he's done and lying about it. So the Lord is going to give him a curse. Adam's already had the ground cursed for his sin. Now Cain himself is going to be cursed. Now thou art cursed from the earth, which openeth her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from her hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall henceforth yield unto her, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. Okay? You're a farmer, that's your occupation. You've just been told nothing you plant will ever grow again. And oh yeah, people don't eat meat yet. This is a big deal. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be upon the earth. So you're going to have to wander around and depend on other people. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth 
And it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him. The Lord was not going to let him off that easy. He was going to have him continue to live and to exist. And so this mark was put upon him that there would be vengeance taken sevenfold upon the man who killed him. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And the Lord and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. So he leads out of Eden, goes to the land of Nod. Now Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Why did he have to build a city? He could not be a farmer. And so he made a city. And then if you read the rest of his descendants, you'll see that throughout every one occupation that's listed, it's something other than being a farmer. So it sounds like the curse continued on down. You had one who uh, dwelt in tents and had cattle, so you had the nomads, cattle herders. You had one who was the father of those who handled the harp and organ. I'll play this pretty, you give me some money. Those who are an instructor in brass and iron, so you've got blacksmiths, so they're having to come up with other crafts to feed themselves. And he gets on down to Lamech is the last one of his generations that are mentioned. and He kills a man similarly and he's saying or hopes that he will be avenged 70 times 7. I kind of wondered why it never went any farther and best guess is that's probably when the flood came. There's no farther to go. Verse 25, And Adam knew his wife, and again she bare a son, and called his name Seth. You know what Seth means? Substitute. The replacement. God's put this one instead of Abel. For God, she said, hath appointed me another instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, and to him also, where there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the first reference we have to prayer, prayer to God. Before this point, it seems like they could speak directly to Him. Okay. Chapter 5 starts off, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man... In the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day that they were created. And Adam lived a hundred and thirty years, and begot a son in his own likeness after his own image, and called his name Seth. So the likeness and image of Adam have been corrupted. Not only do we look but we also will have that sin nature, which we'll talk about next time. And the days of Adam after he begotten Seth were 800 years, and he begot sons and daughters. I want to look, jumping forward just a little bit. I won't read through all the genealogies for you. Get down to verse 29. Lamech, and you're curious, y'all look at the similarities between the names in Cain's genealogies and those in Seth's. Lamech is Noah's daddy. 
He had lived 182 years when he had his son. He called his name Noah, which means comfort or rest. And this is what he said. He had this, this prophecy. This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. The ground is cursed, and somehow Noah is going to be a comfort. I'll be honest with you, I don't fully understand that. Um, Noah's going to give a rest in that there are going to be eight people that will survive in the flood and the ark that God tells them to build. build. Um, and in that way there was safety and sanctuary from the judgment. And so I suppose that that points as a type to Christ of being the safety and sanctuary there with Him. But just something to, to chew on there. The, that His name was Noah and comfort concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. So if you jump forward just a little bit farther, we're going to skip over the curse, not the curse, the flood for today and see what happens after the flood. So in chapter 8, we'll just pick up in 18, they've spent about a year inside their box. It's now resting on Mount Ararat. The ground is dried up. Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every fowl and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living, everything that liveth as I have done. So he's got two promises. He's not going to curse the ground again, um, which he did with Adam. And he's also not going to flood the world again to destroy it all. He'll destroy it a, a different way. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Right. So that curse, I believe, remains in place unto now. When we talk about living in a sin-cursed world. One of the things we're referring to, not just humans, but the, but the world itself. I'm going to go to Revelation 21. I'm going to read a few verses, and then we'll, we'll close for the day. Revelation 21. This is after the judgment. You've had the separation. You've had those who are not the Lord's so are going to be cast into the lake of fire with along with death and hell. And you're going to see a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. That's kind of interesting started off as just sea. Now there's not going to be any sea at all. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there should be no more death, neither shall neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. 
death, pain, sorrow, tears. Those are all the products of sin. They've passed away. And he sat upon the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. Okay. And we're just going to jump. Get a better description of the temple for the sake of time. I'm going to jump down to verse 22. I saw no temple therein. Talking about the city. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And all the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor unto it. And the gates shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life. I remember hearing about that one. The one they were cast out so they couldn't eat after they'd sinned. The tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits. That's different. Y'all ever known one tree that bears a bunch of different kinds of fruit? I haven't. This one's got one for each month. Yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves thereof, leaves of the tree, were for the healing of the nations. Verse 3. And there shall be no more curse. No more curse. Right, David? But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. There shall be no night. They shall need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants these things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. I wanted to look at both bookends with how I describe it in literary analysis. But you've got the beginning where you've got paradise. But even in that, it's inferior to the paradise that will be. In that one, there was night. There was times and seasons. Here, you won't have times and seasons. There'll be no night. You don't need that interval of time. You don't need the stars or the sun because it's always day. That time will pass away. You're going to get into a time beyond time. Okay? There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. All those products of sin are now wiped away. Even the river. God sent the river out of Eden to water the garden. Right? Even that was inferior to this pure river. Pointing to that pure river, crystal, the water of life, that everlasting life. That's, Jesus would describe it himself. That he would give those waters of everlasting life. Or you'd have no more pain, no more hunger. That eating, that God of the belly thing, right? 
from the fall, people serving their belly became so important until you're going to get full circle here where it's no longer important at all. Will you eat in heaven? Yeah, I think so. Quite a few descriptions. But it's not the same way where you don't need it. It's not part, as I challenge, it's just part of the grace and the goodness that He gives you. Okay? So kids, what have we talked about today? And tall kids? Talked about God making the whole world in how many days? He did six days of work and the seventh day He rested, but yeah, we're talking about one week, right? And then we looked real closely at the sixth day when He made Adam. He named all the animals. Adam did. And then Eve was given to him. And then sometime after that, the serpent tricks Eve. They disobey God's one command. And they realize they're naked and they're ashamed. And they try to hide from God. And as a result, they have to be cast out. There's curses put upon the ground to make things very hard for things to grow. Conception and bearing children becomes incredibly painful. And you've got the uh, dynamic between a husband and wife that changes to where the husband is now the head of the household and the woman is subject to him. And you have pain and you have sorrow and you have death. But within all that, we had that one veiled little prophecy pointing to who? Who's the prophecy pointing to? Jesus. That He is going to bruise the serpent's head. Who's the serpent? Satan. The devil. Right? Who tricked Eve? Satan. Right? Do you know that Jesus has already defeated Satan? Do you know when He defeated Him? When He died on the cross. When He rose from the grave. And you can imagine Satan must have think. I won! He's dead! But he had lost. So, thank you all for your time. Thank you for your good attention, little people and tall people. Hopefully this will give you something to think about and chew on, and if nothing else, give you inspiration to continue to get into your Word.